Hello, everybody. It's me, Auntie, and thank you for joining me for the continuation of The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. Chapter 23, The Call. Pierre remained trapped inside himself, unmoving and unthinking. Servine rushed around preparing another pot, pot of stew for him. Until the magic took full hold, she had to keep feeding it to him. She couldn't risk losing him. Not now. Not after her sister's child had refused her. She grumbled as she worked, irritated that she had let the girl go. I should have found a way to change the child first, Severine muttered. With the child's magic on her side, turning the rest of the people on the island would have been simpler. But now, now they would fight. Sabrine didn't mind the fighting, but she did mind losing her own kind. She shoved a spoonful of stew into Pierre's mouth. Well, they will lose too, she said aloud. At least I have you. Sabrine dabbed a dribble of stew from Pierre's lips. She looked at him tenderly. In spite of everything that had gone wrong, she would still get a family. Corinne would eventually follow her father. Severine had noticed they could not be without each other for, a lo for long. In two more nights, the magic would have permanent hold on Pierre, and he and Severine would be sealed together. He would bring his daughter to their side. Eventually, Severine would release Pierre from the magic. He might come to love her as he had loved her sister. But before any of that happened... She had to take care of the people of the island. Only two nights to wait, but in the silent house, restlessness settled on Sabrine. She wanted the people turned faster. Why wait two more nights to begin, she wondered. I have an army willing to do as I say. And if Kareen sees what we jumbies can do, if she doesn't co cooperate, maybe she will join us on her own. She went to the window and sang in a voice only understood by jumbies. Drowned in water, scorched in sun, tonight your time is finally done. Silent children, come and fight. The people's end begins tonight. She fed Pierre another spoonful and patted his lips dry. There, now, she said. That wasn't so bad, was it? And now I should take care of your wife. She picked up Nicole's necklace by the string, careful not to touch the stone. It felt heavy under her fingers, not because of the stone itself, but because she understood its magic. She felt its power as soon as it touched her skin. It was forming magic an ancient power that was created at the same time that the very earth was made. It was bigger and more powerful than she herself, more powerful than anything she had ever known. She wondered how her sister had come by it, how she had handled it, and if it was the thing that had allowed her to live among people for as long as she had. Severine was tempted to try to use the magic herself, but she knew that the magic was dangerous, even for her. How then could her sister have given it to a child who wore it so casually around her neck? She cringed at the thought that those boys had tied it around 
an agatee's tail and set it free in the forest. The poor little creature, Serene said to herself as she went out of the house and into the shadowy trees. It was probably so afraid when it felt the magic tied to its body. As she walked through the forest, the creatures she passed felt the power of the magic in her hands. A family of lapé trembled along the shadows. The large rodents, white spots blended with the few spots of sunlight that came through the mahogany forest. And their, their whiskers trembled like the grass of Severine's feet. Even the hummingbirds ceased to dart around the orchids that twined around their tree trunks. Everything lay still. In the thickest part of the mahogany forest where no human could ever walk, Severine returned to her jumbie self. In the open air, her body looked less like a beautiful woman who appeared at the market and more like a tangle of wood and vines crawling with insects. But her form flickered and faded like a candle as she passed through solid rock and closely knotted trees. She muttered to herself as she went, If I had it all this time, I would have found the right way to use it. The island could already be mine. Severine knew that her sister would have known she would use the magic this way. It was no wonder she had given the necklace to Corinne. How long had you been lying, sister? Severine asked. You fooled us all. Severine reached the highest point on the island. The cliff overlooked the same bay where Pierre fished. She chose a rock that jutted out over the water and secured the necklace there, far from the child. Now it would be safe until Severine understood how to unlock its full magic. It was delicate thing, and once used, it could never be used again. As Severine walked back down through the trees, she whispered another message to the Jumbies in their language, telling them, Children, children, stand on guard. No one enters through our yard. Sharpen claws and sticks and stones. Tonight we shall retake our home. Jumbies emerged from the trees to listen to her plan. The forest came alive with sound of slithering, cracking, scratching, and shuffling as each of them got ready. Already the sun was slipping toward the sea. Soon the battle would begin. Chapter 24 The Lagahu From the perch on the rock, Nicole's necklace dangled in the sea breeze and shimmered in the sun. Its gleam shone over the shore, where it made the fishermen squint as they drew in their nets for the day. Farther up the coast, where Corinne and her friends sat, the light traced a path in the sand up to their feet. Malik spotted the necklace first. He pointed. Corinne saw it next and immediately knew what it was. It seemed to pull at her, to call her to it. Corinne had not wanted to go, get too far from her house, and none of the others were willing to leave her. 
She sat in the sand all day, feeling helpless. But now her hands flew up to her chest, where her mama's necklace had been for as long as she could remember. She remembered the day that her mama had untied the string from her own neck and put it around hers. The string was so long, the stone fell to her stomach. She remembered that her mama had told her to guard it, what it would protect her. But in her memory, it wasn't her mama's voice that she heard saying it. It was her father's voice telling her the story. Crin hated that she couldn't remember how her mama had said her very last words. I have to get the necklace back, Crin said to Drew and the boys. Malik shook his head. Buki looked up. How? No one can get up there. The knot inside Corinne pulled tight. She leaned over with her hands on her knees. It's the only way, she said to them. You don't have to help me. This is my problem. We are all in this together now, aren't we, brother? Buki said. Malik patted Corinne's shoulder. She tried to summon up a smile to show them all that she was fine, that she was strong, but she didn't feel that way. She felt angry and alone, even though her friends were there with her. But they weren't her family. She didn't want to stay where she could see the necklace. She started on the road toward town. Drew and the boys followed. Behind them, the sun slid beneath the ocean and through the whole island in darkness. You should get home, Drew. Your mother will be worried, Kern said. I'll go back to the cave with a huge creature with a face like a dog and a body nearly as tall as the trees stood in the road panting heavily. A line of saliva dripped from his sharp white teeth. The chains around its neck clinked softly every time it took a breath. Corinne stood frozen with fear. Lagaho. All four of them stood rooted in the dirt road, and the lagahu panted at them. Big slops of saliva plopped on the ground from its deep red mouth. Its teeth were the size of kitchen knives, and they gleamed in the light of rising moon. All at once, the creature crouched down, about to pounce. Buki was the fastest to act. He bent down and sprint away from the creature and toward the red hills. Malik followed his brother. Drew screamed again but ran away from the forest, down the road, and led to her village. Only Corinne remained staring the lagaho down, not out of bravery, but because she didn't know where to run. The lagaho growled and jumped into the air. Corinne ducked and ran toward it. The lagaho soared over her head and landed where Corinne had been, cracking the ground beneath it. The creature snarled with anger and whipped around. Corinne ran. The lagaho lurched to forward and came toward Corinne at a full gallop, dragging its chains behind. Corinne's muscles screamed from the effort of running, and she wasn't sure how much longer she could go on. In seconds, she could feel the lagaho's hot breath against her neck, and then she heard the clank of chains and a strange whimper, then nothing. Corinne stopped and turned. 
the creature stood still. It breathed its hot, foul breath into her face, but nothing in its eyes spelled distress. It moved back and tried to surge forward again, but its chains had become tangled in the branches of tamarind tree. The lagaho tried to struggle forward, and the long brown tamarind fruit knocked together, sounding like an audience applauding its capture. Warm relief surged from Corinne's head down to her toes. But if the jumbie was out, then so were others. Severine's battle had started. Corinne needed to help her friends. She backed away from the angry Lagoho and ran off towards the village. Chapter 25, Buki and Malik. The brothers ran until their legs burned with effort. When they were far enough away, they stopped beneath a pink pooey tree and tried to catch their breath. Their, their rest did not last long. The sounds of shouting and crying had erupted all over the island. From every corner, the boys heard the clank of metal and thuds of hand-to-hand blows. The fighting seemed dangerously close to their little clearing. We have to make it to the cave, brother, Buki said. Malik grabbed his hand and pulled him in the other direction toward the fighting. No, no, we have to go the other way. You don't want us to get killed, do you? Who will kill you? A woman's voice asked. Buki felt a chill all the way to his bones. He looked around, expecting to see Severine, but instead there was another woman standing there. She had milky brown skin and sea-green eyes and was amazingly nearly as beautiful as Severine herself. She wore a long white gown, elbow-length white gloves, and a broad-brimmed white hat, all of which seemed to glow in the moonlight. Buki felt drawn to her. He took a couple of shaky steps in her direction. Where did you come from? The woman pointed out of the clearing to the top of the mahogany forest. From there. So you're a jumbie. Buki asked with trembling voice. He took another step towards her. We're not all so bad, the jumbie said. She reached her arms out to Buki to draw him closer. How old are you, little one? she asked. Twelve. But I'm a big twelve. Buki added when he saw one side of the jumbie's mouth curl up into a mocking smile. So I guess you are old enough then, she said. With her arms out, she kept drawing him nearer. For what? Buki asked. He turned his head to look for his brother, but Malik was nowhere to be seen. Oh, don't worry about him, the jumbie coaxed. He ran off. He was too scared of me. But I know you are not. You are a big boy of twelve, and nothing frightens you, eh? The wind picked up then and shook the last remnants of the smell of pooty flowers down from the branches, but it stirred up something else, something that smelled sharp and rotting. Buki's nose wrinkled. What is that? he asked aloud. What, dear? the jumbie asked gently through her sea-green eyes, had become hard like glass. You don't smell that? Buki asked. As he did, the wind picked up the ends of the jumbie's long gown and blew them back where there was one sleek brown leg 
and one hairy cow's foot. The jumbie tried to rearrange her clothes quickly, but it was too late. Buki already began to back away. The jumbie's face contoured into an angry grimace and the grabbed up her skirt and moved toward him. She only made it a few awkward steps when she fell to the ground, stunned. Buki gasped as he watched the jumbie writher in the dirt. Her legs were tied together with rope. Then Malik jumped out of the power trees, holding the one end of the rope. Before the jumbie could untie herself, Malik bound the jumbie's arms and her sides. You will leave me here like this? The jumbie screamed. Malik nodded. I will get you. I promise I will get you, the jumbie shouted. Malik pointed at the rope and shook his head. Then he grabbed his brother's hand and pulled him out of the clearing. They left the jumbie screaming insults. Malik led Buki toward the sound of the fighting. Where are you going, brother? Buki asked. You don't want to run into more like that La Diables, do you? Malik nodded solemnly. One of them will certainly kill us, Buki said. Malik turned away from his brother and pressed on. All right, but if I get killed, I'll haunt you for the rest of your life. Malik looked back and raised both of his eyebrows. Well, I guess if we both get killed, we'll have to hear me complain about it for eternity. Malik moved out of the clearing and back towards the village with Buki following behind. In a few minutes... The sound of fighting was sharp in his ears, and the smell of mingled sweat, dirt, and blood hung in the air over usual nighttime scent of the island. Clouds moved over the moon and threw everything into darkness. The boys bumped into something soft and stumbled to the ground. The clouds parted again, and they found themselves on the ground next to a little old woman. Sorry, Grandmother, Buki said quickly. He and Malik reached out to help the old woman back to her feet, but her skin was fire hot. They both pulled away and shook the heat from their hands. Are you sick? Buki asked. You should not be out on a night like this, especially if you're not well. Who do you belong to? Maybe we can take you back to your family. The time he bore the heat of her hand to pull her to her feet, Malik did not touch her. The old woman smiled, but did not let go of Buki's hand. Buki tried to pull the old lady off, but her grip was like a vice. Buki began to scream from the pain of the heat. The old woman began to shudder a little as if she was cold, but the skin around her bones loosened and slid off revealing a fiery body inside. She was a succulent, a malicious fireball that could suck the lifeblood out of anyone, even a baby. Her skin pooled around her, leaving Buki holding the empty shell of her hand. She shuddered, and it let it fall with a slap against the rest of the discarded skin, while the flame body gathered up into a ball and hovered a few feet above the ground. The boys turned and ran to the village, with the Soganti just behind them. In the in the streets, all around them, people were fighting jumbies. Buki and Malik 
darted around a group of fishermen who had surrounded a lagaho, battling to take it down with the hooks and nets. Bloody claws marks covered one fisherman's arm. Down the road, a small band of duans were crawling all over a house, getting in the windows and doors with people inside and outside trying to beat them away with brooms, garden rakes, and an oar. Malik clenched his fist and seemed about to dive into the fight. Babuki grabbed his arm and dragged him toward Hugo's bakery. The Sukuyant was still on their trail. Buki pushed his brother down next to the outdoor clay oven and crouched beside him. The oven was warm, its coals still burning deep inside. Several feet in front of the boys, the Sukuyant hovered in the air. It darted and turned looking for the boys, casting an orange glow on all of the fighters. Fire in front and fire behind, eh, brother? Too bad you really can't fight fire with fire, Buki said. Suddenly Malik smiled and patted Buki hard on the back. Buki yelled and Malik put his fingers to his lips. The Sukuyant made a swift turn and moved in their direction. Next to the clay oven, there was a metal bucket. Malik picked up Hugo's tongs and reached deep inside the oven for some of the hot coals. He put them into the bucket and took one of Hugo's cloths to hold the bucket carefully. Then he pulled his slingshot out of his pocket. Buki saw the slingshot and understood immediately. He got out his own. As they crawled back towards the fight, the fighting, they picked up several stones and shoved them into their pockets. When they were finally at the side of the road, they loaded up their slingshots and started to shoot. The Sukuyant backed up at first, but then it barreled toward them in a blur of flame. Just as it was about to engulf the boys, an oar smacked it to the ground. A hefty fisherman stood over the Sukuyant as if in a daze. The light from the Sukuyant's flame shone in his face, and the boys recognized him as Victor, the same man who had tried to get Corinne out of her father's boat. The Sukuyant began to rise from the ground, and Victor lifted his oar to hit it again. A small lagaho crept up behind Victor and hit him hard on the back. The wood from Victor's oar only caught the outer edge of the flame and passed through. Buki pointed at the Sukuyant. Aim for the center of the fireball. Only the outside is flame. Malik tucked his hair behind his ears and nodded. The man turned his attention to Lagaho. He swung and his oar broke against the Lagaho's arm, leaving a sharp pointed end. He jabbed the point at the Lagaho while Buki pummeled the Sukuyant with rocks from the slingshot. Malik scrambled closer to the fisherman and the lagaho. With the cloth wrapped around his hand, he loaded a hot coal into his slingshot, aimed and fired at the lagaho's body. The lagaho spun around, roaring from pain. Its fur began to smoke. Buki raised his brow and smirked. 
Two and one, he yelled at Victor. He gestured for him to use his oar like a bat on the Sukuyant. Send it there, he yelled and pointed towards the smoking log hole. Victor smiled and nodded and got the broken oar ready to swing like a cricket bat. The Sukuyant lunged toward them both. Victor swung and connected. The ball of fire sailed, hissing through the air. It struck the Lagaho's fur. The monster roared and screamed in an explosion of flames. Victor and the Buki cheered as both the Lagaho and the Suigon fell, fell a fiery heat. When the fire died out, a smoldering pile of ash was all that was left of the two Jumbies. The brothers leaned against each other, panting. That is not the last of them, Victor said sternly. Go home and leave the fighting to the grown-ups. The boys stood up straight and armed their slingshots again. Buki set his jaw and gave Victor a look that showed he and his brother weren't going anywhere. All right then, men. Let's go, Victor yelled and charged with his plank down the road where they quickly found another fight with yet another Lagaho. With a fierce yell, Victor ra raced in to help the men and women with rakes and garden hose who were fighting the beast. The boys turned to find someone else to help and spotted a small band of doings that had holed up behind the market wall. The creatures hurled huge boulders at some frightened villagers who huddled trapped against another wall the boys loaded stones off after stone into their slingshots and fired but with no effect on the duans the villagers ducked but the duans rocks came fast many of the villagers were bleeding from where they had been hit in the midst of the flying rock malik ran out and stood between the duans and the villagers Come back here, Buki shouted. Malik moved closer to the doings. No, Buki shouted. The doings ran out, tumbled over themselves to try to grab Malik first. As they got closer to Malik, they shouted, Oh, 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 louder and faster. Buki was about to lunge toward forward to put himself in front of his brother but then Malik sprang into action he ran towards the villagers the duans were left exposed now now they the trapped villagers swarmed toward and surrounded the duans Buki clutched his brother's arm and tucked him away while the villagers fought the duans hand to hand the boys stayed on the road this time since all of their usual paths seemed to be blocked are you being followed, brother? Buki asked. Malik nodded and pointed behind. Behind, A figure was moving toward them near the side of the road. It wore a gray shirt long enough to hide its feet. Buki narrowed his eyes and loaded its slingshot. Malik did the same, though he didn't aim just yet. As the figure got closer, Buki dropped to one knee and pulled the slingshot back taut aiming for the head. Just as he was about to go, Malik jostled him and the rock flew wide, missing the mark completely. Why'd you do that? Buki pushed him. Malik pointed and ran to the person in the gray shirt. Buki scrambled to his feet, 
followed. Corinne, you're alive. How? That logaho. It was luck. Its chain got caught in a tree. There are jumbies everywhere. We know. The good news is you can destroy them, Buki said. But then Corinne began to smile. He added, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Crin gave him a firm nod. Where's Drew? Buki and Malik frowned. She's not with you? Buki asked. Crin swallowed hard at the darkness seemed to thicken around them. Join me again next time for the continuation of the Jumbies. See you then. Music